First of all, I just want to lay the foundation, man's desire for globalism. You know, you go back in Scripture and you see after Noah got out of the ark, God commanded he and his sons to fill the earth and populate the earth. But we know that immediately they disobeyed. Basically, most of humanity moved to the plains of Shinar and began building cities there. We read in, for instance, historical books like Josephus, and we see in Genesis 10 and 11 that they built a first effort at a global empire under an emperor named Nimrod with his wife, Semiramis. And it's interesting that God made the observation. Now, recognize, ladies and gentlemen, God is God. He can do whatever He wants to. There is not a problem that's too big for God. If God wants to rain down fire from heaven to take out Joe Biden, oh, Lord, that would be a great idea. I'm sorry. All right. Well, you know, these men were all gathered together in, in the plains of Shinar. And again, God can always knock out a problem. Hundred pound hailstones if necessary. That's okay. But God made this observation as man was gathering together in this global empire with no fear of God as they were building this tower to worship the host of heaven. God made the observation that the people are unified and they're godless. Nothing will be able to rein, restrain them from whatever they imagine to do. Now, there's been a lot of debate over what God means by that, but quite frankly, it's explained very clearly when you see what God decided to do about the problem. Man was unified. Man was godless. Nothing was to restrain man. Again, God could always restrain man. God could stop Nimrod's heart if he wanted to. Again, fire from heaven if he wanted to. However, on earth, man unified in a global government, global godlessness, there is nothing on earth that can check the growth of evil. What did God do to respond to this situation? He confounded the languages and created the nations. And God has since used nations to check the evil growth of other nations. We know biblically, for example, that God even called Nebuchadnezzar his servant, and God used Babylon as a source of judgment upon disobedient Judah. I believe that God has used the United States of America to judge other nations. You look in the last century, and when you had a professional army rising in the east in Imperial Japan, and you had a professional army rising, I'm, I'm sorry, rising in the, in the east in, in Germany and in the west in, 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 in Japan, you had the Nazis and you had the Imperial Japanese army. You have two global world powers, evil and godless. And then all of a sudden, on December 7th, 1941, we got bombed and attacked without any declaration of war, and it riled up this sleeping giant. My father was one of those that responded. My father was a 16-year-old farm boy from Cherry Valley, Arkansas. Dad, as a 16-year-old, lied about his age and enlisted in the Navy. And at 16, Dad was fighting the Japanese on a destroyer in the South Pacific. But that's what happened. America went to war. And it's amazing, ladies and gentlemen, think about this. And don't, don't tell me God hasn't used America for some awfully great things in, in world history. You know, we get attacked, flat-footed, December 7th, 1941. Within three months, it was largely symbolic, but within three months, we're bombing Tokyo in that daring Doolittle raid. Within six months, the battle was all but won, just time to tell it, when the Battle of Midway, America, by either sheer luck or God's providence, allowed certain things to happen in that battle where we miraculously sank four 
Japanese aircraft carriers in one battle, three of them within a matter of about 10 minutes. And the war changed from that point. You see our boys go to both directions, to Germany, uh, to, to Japan, and in three and a half years, we go from being minding our own business, flat-footed, absolute peace, to destroying the two greatest evils on the planet. Ladies and gentlemen, God has used nations to judge the wickedness in other nations. Now, it's interesting. We're going to talk just a little bit about eschatology. Let me say this. Eschatology doesn't, it doesn't confound us at all. You know what? I can work with anybody who wants to see righteousness in America, who wants to see a revival in America. And quite frankly, in this issue, it doesn't matter whether you're amillennial or premillennial, whatever. If you want to see righteousness in America, if you want to see a biblical worldview promoted, then we can work together. Quite frankly, the only criteria we have for this group is you've got to believe that the Bible is the holy, inerrant, plenary Word of God. You've got to believe that salvation is by grace through faith in, salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone plus nothing. And you've got to also believe that if we don't repent and change directions as a country, we are in big trouble. However, in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel tells a vision that Nebuchadnezzar had had, and this describes what I believe is called the times of the Gentiles. You see Babylon, you see Media Persia, you see Greece, you see Rome, you see these great world empires up until the time of the destruction of the Jewish temple. Then you don't see the last world empire until I believe there's going to be an attempt to build another temple in Jerusalem. But we see that in the last days before the Lord establishes His kingdom of heaven on earth, that there is, in fact, a last attempt at global governance. Now, this is just one eschatological view, but it is an orthodox view. It's one I happen to hold to, but I'm not wanting to fight anybody over this. I'm just saying this in passing to lay this out. According to Daniel chapter 2, it says in the last days, there is going to be a loosely affiliated empire. They're going to try to unify, but it won't be as successful as that solid head of gold as Nebuchadnezzar. This will be partly of clay, partly of iron, partly together, but partly not. But it consists of ten somethings. You've heard people explain that as the revived Roman Empire and all this and that. I don't think so. If you look in the Hebrew in Daniel chapter 2, it actually uses the word for king there, ten kings. It doesn't say kingdoms. It says ten kings. I'm a crazy enough person. I've thought for about 15 years that that's going to be 10 men, 10, I don't know, Bill Gates, George Soros, 10 evil men that want to come together and try to rule the world. Why does man want to rule the world? Heaven, all I want to do is go play more golf. What in the world is it about man that you can have $100 billion and then you want more and more power? Anyway, according to how I see some things, this is one possible, again, again, I'm not trying to offend anybody if you disagree with this, this is not the point of the conference, but one potential view of eschatology is that Israel will actually be in the land again, literally, uh, that Jerusalem would be a cup of trembling over which all the nations of the world uh, fight over. I think it's interesting that there's one city on the planet that if there's going to be an apartment building built somewhere, that the United Nations convenes an assembly to discuss whether that apartment building should be built or not. We know that there will be an attempt at global socialism orchestrated, I believe, by, not by the revived Roman Empire, but by ten powerful men who wish to control the world. Daniel 2, Revelation 17. They're going to put forward a front man, a little horn, who eventually will become their rob, their master. Uh, we see that this is a super politician who promises peace. 
global socialism will be implemented according to this eschatological view during the seven years of great tribulation. Again, not trying to fight anybody. In this particular view, there will be global socialism during that seven-year period. Uh, this super-narcissist politician will eventually become the absolute dictator, will throw off his feigned respect for religion and demand that he be worshipped. There will be a push to demand submission through receiving a mark, without which you will not be able to buy, sell, trade, or do any business. Now, during the prior administration, we had a man that traveled the world apologizing to the world for America's greatness. We had a man that wanted to see the deterioration of America and no longer being proud about being an American citizen, but began pushing this global citizenship idea. Well, I am firmly convinced that these ten, whoever they may be, the power brokers behind the scenes, those that would be capable of taking a community organizer who's working the streets of Chicago in 2000, somehow this community organizer that nobody had ever heard of becomes a state senator in four years, becomes a United States senator two years later, becomes president of the United States two years later, and now is in line, become the new president of the re revived United Nations. That is a plan. How in the world does a guy go from community organizer to the White House in eight years? Wow. You've got to have some pretty good friends that are trying to help you along the way, in my opinion. But there will be this push. Now, after Obama, it was assumed that Hillary Clinton was going to win. I mean, she was a shoe-in. Donald Trump had no hope. But that didn't happen. Thanks to God's mercy, we saw a breath of fresh air and a little light. If Hillary had won, we would have just continued to erode into global socialism. Likely, we wouldn't have felt anything. It had been like boiling a frog in a pot. However, Hillary didn't win. Trump did. Somebody that had the audacity to want to make America great again. Folks, a strong America doesn't fit into the plans of the globalists to integrate us all in to be ruled by the beautiful people from Davos. Trump was a fly in the ointment. Trump had to be gotten rid of. There was a plan to do so. Now is the historical moment, the time, not only to fight severe virus, but to shape the system. We have a unique but rapidly shrinking window of opportunity to learn lessons and reset ourselves on a more sustainable path. What is it that would make it so that history would look at this crisis as the great opportunity for reset? The Great Reset is a welcome recognition that this human tragedy must be a wake-up call. The world's problems fit on three sides of a triangle. It's one versus many, man versus nature, and the unfortunate foundation is long-term versus short-term. Any recovery stimulus should have green conditions attached to it. We have to change our economy dramatically in the next 20 or 30 years, and the next 10 years is absolutely decisive. The recovery has to be greener, than any of the previous recoveries. We're committed to conserving the majesty of God's creation and the natural beauty of our world. But to embrace the possibilities of tomorrow, we must reject the perennial prophets of doom and their predictions of the apocalypse. These alarmists always demand the same thing, absolute power to dominate, transform, and control every aspect of our lives. 
We will never let radical socialists destroy our economy, wreck our country. Wise leaders always put the good of their own people and their own country first. The future does not belong to globalists. The future belongs to patriots. The General Assembly routinely votes 185 against the United States on almost everything right now. Clearly, I consider the Trump administration a danger to the world, but I regard it as a purely temporary phenomenon that will disappear in 2020. Temporary phenomenon that will disappear in 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, I personally believe that's one of those 10 world leaders right there that is conspiring to bring about global socialism. Now, understand, there are three tools that they are using very effectively. One of the things they're using in the United States is this critical race theory, which you're going to learn about with Dr. Broden here in just a while. Another thing that they have used unsuccessfully is climate hoax. The idea that climate, we've got to unify with global taxes and global governments to save the world. But most people haven't bought that. So they came up with another plan. It was called the COVID hoax pandemic. Now, again, ladies and gentlemen, there is a legitimate virus. But if we had treated this properly with the ability we have to treat this virus, this would have been a normal year unlike any other year. What was interesting, if you've never heard about it, they had Event 201. It's amazing the media is unaware of any of this. But they actually wargamed a scenario in November of 2019 where Johns Hopkins University, the World Economic Forum, they're the ones behind the Great Reset, and Bill and Melinda Gates, another candidate for one of the tin horns, I would say. These three put together this war game where they simulated an outbreak of a novel coronavirus transmitted from bats to people, leading to a severe pandemic. Who would have seen this coming? War game in November of 2000, or excuse me, October of 2019, and one month later, we had our first case become public in Red China. Klaus Schwab says this, the world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our societies and economies, from education to social contracts and working conditions. Every country from the United States to China must participate, and every industry from oil and gas to tech must be transformed. This is the Great Reset, ladies and gentlemen. It is coming in 2021. It is their goal.